This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome to AutoCorrect, helping you correct your auto problems. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker, ASE certified. Hello, Allison. Hey, Liz. I am so excited that we have Julie and John Herlihy on the show with us. The Madison, Mississippi couple participated in the Milli Milia, a 1,000-mile race through the mountains and countrysides and cities of Italy. So we're going to talk about this race through Italy between your vehicle repair questions and calls. John, how did you all get started on this in the first place? Uh, we had a friend in New Orleans that did it in 2016. He put on an event in New Orleans uh, later that year to spark some interest amongst uh, his friends that drove race cars with him. We all were in a group that drove race cars out of New Orleans. Or and y'all all into vintage race cars, too, specifically? Okay, just in a racing in general. Okay. We were, no, we're racing modern race cars. Yep. Okay. And But he had kind of changed his focus and was more interested in the vintage rally racing. And so uh, he got us interested. We did it the first year. I did it with a friend where we traded off driving and navigating, and it was a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, right after the race, before we'd even gotten on the train and left town, Julie had expressed an interest in doing it. And I said, if you're all in, I'm all in. And before we got to uh, Venice, I had bought the uh, Jaguar, and we had made the commitment to do it in 2019. So, so tell us, give us the, the give us the uh, abbreviated version. This is a thousand mile race from Brescia, Brescia, through through Italy, through mountains and cities, and and tell us a, what a rally race is. This is uh, technically a uh, distance regularity rally. Um, we do a thousand miles, four days. Um, first day we left out of Brescia. We ended up on the Adriatic coastline that evening. We finished that day at about eleven o'clock at night. We started the next day at eight a.m. and drove to probably got in Rome at ten o'clock at night. Up the next morning, out at eight. Uh, went through Siena, uh, had lunch in Siena, ended up in Parma for the evening, and then back to Brescia. We finished in Brescia in the afternoon about 4 o'clock. So four very intense days. So, Allison, yeah. you're the car person, but I am obsessed with maps and directions. That just gives me the tingles, and I'm so I'm excited about that. So, Julie, uh, how do you know where to go? My job was to be the navigator, and John drove, and I couldn't let him make a, a bad turn. So we get a book every day um, that tells us in what we call tulip diagrams. We don't get street names. We just It just says go 2.5 kilometers, take a left. And if you get off, you can get seriously off. Oh, right. So, because if you're off, then your 2.5 is compounded. Right, right. So I just, I, I had my head in the book. We went through some beautiful towns and I didn't know <laughs> until the end of the day that we had gone through them. I missed Florence entirely because I had my head in the book, trying to anticipate the next turn. So is the race different from year to year? 
the, the course? The course varies slightly from year to year. Towns, uh, I think, bid for the opportunity to have the race go through their town, somewhat like the Tour de France. So, uh, but we and we always end up in Rome. We always start and finish in Brescia, and we've gone and stayed at the same place on the Adriatic the last two years. And you don't, you can't, you, you get the book the night before, but you can't really study up, or you, you don't get any sleep, or? Actually, I think they give us all four books at the beginning of the race, but I only look at the race, at the book for the next day, the night before. And we kind of go through, and there's some time trials in there, and I make some notes. Usually we get in, we eat about 11.30 or 12 o'clock at night. I've got the book open, and John's working on the rally computer or taking notes from the next day, and I fall asleep over that book every single night. Oh, my goodness. This is such an exciting show. We are talking with Julie and John Hurley about the Mil Miglia, a thousand mile road race through the Italian countryside. But we also want to take your vehicle, your questions about the race or your vehicle repair questions. Allison is here for that. So give us a call. Our number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464, or you could send us an email. Our address is auto at mpbonline.org. I wish y'all could see Allison. She is just chomping at the bit uh, to find out about these cars. Yes, I am. I'm so curious. So you drove a Jaguar XKS. What year was it? A 1953. It's an XK120. XK120. Yes. Okay, XK120. So, of course, I want to know, did you have any problems with it? Did we have roadside breakdowns? I know cars were built a lot better back then and some weren't so i don't know if this one was one of the better ones or well we picked this model because of the reliability because of the engine because it's not that exotic um the the requirements for the race are that a car had to be built between 1927 and 1957. So when we, the race was originally run. Correct. So we picked a fairly re- reliable car. We bi- rebuilt them from the frame up. Really? Every single For day. the race. For the race. And it is still supposed to be basically something that was sold at that time, factory. Right. These were not race cars. These are factory production cars. That, correct? It, it, this actually was a factory production or car. Or a race version of. And we kind of. Yeah. Modified to okay. be, look like a race version. Oh, okay, okay, which is fine as long as everything basically stays the same on the the powertrain and exactly and, and whatnot. Okay, great. So, it, did you run into any problems? Well, the first year we had a fuel filter clog. Okay, and spent four hours on the side of the road and. Um, that was a disaster. This year, the only thing that happened was I ran out of gas. Oh, dear. <laughs> you got really focused. And well, the gauges on an old 53 car don't uh, work that well. and um, We I thought just, we were just getting great gas mileage. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going down. It's it barely was, moving. It, it was good until it wasn't good. But oh, we have uh, three chase vehicles, eight mechanics that follow five cars, and they're uh, spaced between us so that the mm-hmm. minute we had the they ran out of gas, the 
the team showed up within two minutes, had fuel back in the car within a minute or two, and I lost 10 total minutes. Now, wow. is this your, your mechanical team or the – oh, okay. Yes. I was curious about that, too. Was it one that's provided by the race or you, not, know, not you, provided you have by the your race. own team? Okay. We bring Completely. one guy from New Orleans, and we brought uh, – we hired uh, seven guys from Italy to be part of the team. Amazing. I'm, I'm trying to picture that coming together and the, the language is different, <laughs> you know, and uh, and then you're in a hurry, you're in a rush, you're trying to figure it out, and all these mechanics trying to figure out this one problem. That's that's funny. I can't imagine. Maybe the Italians know some uh, pigeon French that the New Orleans <laughs> Cajun guy could talk or something. <laughs> they managed well. The mechanics um, were all out of one family, and a couple of nights the mother would go to the garage and cook for everybody because we would finish up at 11.30 or 12. They would follow us all day long, and then they had to check out the cars, and they were we had five cars yep. on our team, and they had to check out all those cars all night long. So they did, did not sleep. They did not sleep. Oh my! Well, gosh, maybe they, did they get days. to sleep in the in the in the van during the race? Or they knocked out? <laughs> oh we're my. guessing maybe they did. <laughs> That's amazing. All right. Well, we've got a call waiting, so let's go and hear from Ann in Ridgeland. Ann, thanks for calling in to AutoCorrect this morning. Go ahead. Yes, so I have a 2009 uh, FX35 Infinity, and I wanted to, well, I'm having to replace the wheel bearing is what the mechanic told me. So I wanted to know uh, what was the price of that, the cost of repair, and the parts, and is there any damage to any other parts of the vehicle? Hey, so FX35 is one of my favorite vehicles of all time. I love it. Yeah, everyone that has one, they, they... they are very reliable so it's an infinity suv and they have this long sleek hood on it kind of like an e-type is what it would remind me of um just a beautiful car and then ultra reliable um so wheelberry i guess you're getting a grinding loud noise when you're going down the road yeah well you don't hear it outside the vehicle you i can just hear it you know when i'm driving along okay you know it's not very noticeable but of course i know because it's not driving the way i normally that it normally drives. Okay. Well, it's if not it's bounce a, or anything like that. Okay. Well, if it's a wheel bearing and it's part of your hub assembly, then those are easy to replace. If it's like, and I'm, since that's a four-wheel independent suspension, I'm pretty sure it doesn't have on the solid axle bearing, which is really hard, to, not really hard, uh, maybe harder to replace. But the hub assembly, you just replace the whole thing, and that I, I have no idea what that would cost for an Infinity uh, on an everyday car. I know I've replaced one on Nissan Quest. If I remember, it was like $75 or something like that for the actual bearing. So I'm assuming Infinity may be close to double that. So uh, up to $140 for the part. And then it literally takes... Honestly, it only takes like an hour, hour and a half, if that. So the labor time should only be about $150. So you're looking at maybe about a $300 repair. This is a guess, an estimate. So Okay. Oh, is there any other damage to any, like the brakes or anything like that? No. Oh. Okay. Okay. So no. just the wheel bearing. No. Okay. Good question, though. 
Okay, well, thank you so much. You're I love welcome. The show. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And thanks for calling in. And if you would like to call in, we would love to have your questions. John and Julie Hurley are participating in Eurofest in Ridgeland on Friday and Saturday. We're going to get to that later in the show. But if you have a problem with your vehicle, Allison has graciously volunteered to answer your questions. We would love for you to call in 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can send us an email. Our address is auto at mpbonline.org. Is your car under recall? We have a list of ones that are when we come back. You're listening to AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio. Listening to AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to AutoCorrect with Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic. I'm Liz Gill. You can listen to our show. Uh, many different ways. One way is podcast. Now, remember, podcasts are just ways to listen to audio in the world. And you can listen to our podcasts when you're driving, when you're walking the dog, when you're cleaning the bathtub. Uh, we'd love to, if you're listening to the podcast, email us. Let us know what you're doing while you listen. Auto at mpbonline.org. Here are the recalls for the week. The 2019-2020 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. CLA class, GLC class. Uh, dealers will inspect the driver airbag module and replace it as necessary for free. The 2017-19 Mercedes-Benz Mercedes AMG E-Class wagon d- dealers will inspect and correct the mounting of the spoiler as necessary for free. The 2011-2018 Jeep Wrangler dealers will replace the driver's seatbelt buckle for free. And this one's an important one. The 2020 BMW X3 X4 dealers will replace the front axle swivel bearings for free. And BMW has said it has instructed owners to not drive their vehicles. We were just talking about BMW last week. Yes, we were. And did not so say. So funny to see that <laughs> pop up again. That sounds pretty serious. <laughs> All right. You can find out if your car has a past recall by going to the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration's website, nhtsa.gov slash recall and inputting your VIN number. Dawn, hang on. We're talking with Julie and John Hurley about their experience in the Mill Melia, and we are taking your vehicle repair questions. Allison was just going crazy during the break because she wants to hear more about the cars. Yes, yes, it's, it's fascinating. So you, basically your car was very ultra-reliable which is amazing to hear. Um, so that's that's really, really great. So I am curious what was your average speed, which is the question I'm sure you get asked smiling really big. I guess you get asked that a lot. Well, the uh, design, the way they set the rally up is so that the design speed is not that fast, but 
15 minutes into the race, you're driving like a maniac. Yeah, getting and in so and getting into it, yeah. I don't, uh, the speedometer <laughs> doesn't work too good on the Jaguar, oh. but I guarantee you we get up to 100 miles an hour many a time. Oh, great. Oh, man, that's awesome. Okay, great. But great. this is, it's not a closed course, but the countryside, all of the population is expecting it. Yes, yes. So we're driving through traffic both directions. And like I said, about 15 minutes into it, you make your first pass right down the middle of the road with cars going both directions. And you do that for four days. Wow. So I would think anybody who was just driving to visit grandma (laughs) and they're in your way, they know to expect it. That's correct. We spent a lot of time honking the horn, Julie waving people out of the way. Yeah. So I do want people to understand that all racing, except for a few forms like autocross is basically safe, but... This, this racing is dangerous, and it actually uh, got shut down uh, for many, many years because of fatalities uh, when when it was going on for 24 years when it first started, and it was pretty serious. You had um, spectators were, were killed, um, race, racers were killed, uh, navigators were killed, um, the, the people that navigate and, and don't drive, and so it's dangerous, and all racing is, is pretty much really really dangerous so to do this is as uh is it's kind of crazy you make sure you're a little bit crazy but that's (laughs) i love racing people because we do we have it's a different breed of of person and and it's not natural to want to go 100 miles per hour through the countryside that's terrifying to most people whereas for us it's a thrill and we love it and it really doesn't scare us enough i know if you're like me it doesn't really scare you i think julie was the one that had to suffer the most sitting in the right seat totally out of control a lot of times we were driving at night, uh, pitch black, the oh, country goodness. roads, and I was going as fast as I could go. The second night going into Rome um, was we, we got behind because we'd run out of gas, and we thought we wouldn't make it on time. We wouldn't make our checkpoint in Rome on the within the time frame that we were allowed. And John said, "Okay, we're going," and we flew. And it was dark, and I had trouble reading my road map. And even if I could have read my road book, some of the turns were coming so fast, and it yeah. was so dark. It was that was probably probably the most challenging night for me. And then finally, I just settled in and said, "He's got this. Yeah. I just got to keep up with where we are." All oh, right. Well, we're in addition to hearing. Um, excuse me. Julie and John Hurley and their experience in the Mill Millia. We're taking your vehicle repair questions. <coughs> Let's go to Don. Don, thanks for calling in. Well, thank you. I'm really enjoying this show. This <laughs> like an amazing experience. Isn't uh, it? Yeah. Is, go ahead. My question is, I have a GM product car, a Chevy Impala. I recently had a repair done on it, and to save money, my repair shop did not use OEM parts. And this was the, uh, oh, in the exhaust system, the catalytic converters were replaced. Since he didn't use OEM parts, apparently, the check engine light doesn't recognize these foreign parts, so the check engine light stays on. Is there any workaround for this that I can get that check engine light to go off that won't affect its performance for other problems? Okay. Well, I'm going to throw something out there at you. So you had a catalytic converter problem, but sometimes it's an O2 sensor or a leaky injector or something like that that's causing a catalytic converter inefficiency 
code to come on. So I'm guessing your problem wasn't actually your catalytic converter. You may have had another problem because the aftermarket part should still do the job and still fix the problem if it was the catalytic converter. So I'm going to throw that out there that possibly it wasn't your catalytic converter. And let's say that what you're saying is correct and that this aftermarket one's not working. There is not a workaround for that. So that's okay. that's my theory on that. My a lot of times, and this happens often in at auto shops, you get a catalytic converter inefficiency code, and they say you need a new catalytic converter. Well, the thing is, you may need a new catalytic converter, but you also need to fix what caused it to melt and burn up in the first place. And usually, that's a leaky injector or uh, some some way you're getting unburned fuel into that catalytic converter. Another thing that can cause that code to come off is that the O2 sensors are simply reading wrong, and you don't actually have a catalytic converter inefficiency problem. It thinks you do, so you would need to replace an O2 sensor. And the way to, to, to pinpoint these problems is you have to put them on a scanner and read it and, and look at your graphing on what your O2 sensor is reading. Uh, look at your fuel injector graphing of how long they're staying open on their duty cycle. So there's more uh, to diagnosing than just saying, hey, you have a code for catalytic converter inefficiency. Let's replace the catalytic converter. But I see that happen all the time. So that's I hope that helps you with that. Well, it does. I think that uh, I need to probably take it into somebody a little more sophisticated this time. Possibly. I do have a little uh, plug-in diagnostic computer. And I check it every once in a while since the check engine light is on. I'm afraid I might miss something important. And it keeps throwing the catalytic converter codes, but nothing else. Right. So you see where there's other components that could be causing it. And I'll give you a little tip, and that's for anyone out here who likes reading their own codes. There's a, a app that I use called, let me look it up real quick, and it, and it works really well it just gives you a list of what can be the problems when you have a code it's called auto codes and it's an app that's on my android that i use for that and it'll give you a list of the components that you need to check in order of more likely to be what's the problem so that's a really good app so i'd recommend using that if you if you like to check your own codes like that I have an iPhone, but I presume they'll have something similar? Yes, yes. Okay. Certainly. Well, thank you very much. That's that's going to be very helpful. Oh, by the way, the I was I believed the catalytic converter problem because it smelled bad. Okay. Then you exhaust smelled bad. Then you may you you have something's it's running rich or something like that. It's burning up that catalytic converter. You have a leaky injector or something going on that would cause unburned fuel to go into your engine. I mean, in, into the catalytic converter. Okay. The the car runs fine, and on the highway, it's getting like thirty four miles to the gallon with the big V six motor. So sometimes it doesn't take very much for it to do that. So it's not particularly that you're going to see a change in drivability or gas mileage. All right. That. Would you would you take a 2013 car to the dealership, or should I find somebody that works on older cars? I would, but I would insist on it being done by the master mechanic there and not just one of the regular mechanics. I would insist on it being properly diagnosed and, and be willing to pay for the diagnostic time also. It's usually about an hour. 
Well, I, I happen to know the master mechanic at the lower di- local dealership, and he's done good work for me on other cars. So He I'll may be thing. familiar with it. You might want to ask him if he's familiar with graphing things and using a scanner tool to to make sure your fuel injectors and your O2 sensors are working correctly. Some of them actually are not that familiar with it, but there's a higher chance of it if you, the master mechanic works on it. Well, all right. I really appreciate it. I think you've helped me. Thank you. Don, we appreciate you calling in. Let's go to Diane before we take our next break. Diane from Ocean Springs, thanks for calling in to AutoCorrect. Go ahead. Yes, I have a 2009 Venza, Toyota Venza, and it says maintenance required for my oil change. Uh, Soon, do I have to get it now when it comes on or the suggested miles on my last oil change sticker you need all it is is it simply saying something is possibly due it's a it's a it's called a dummy light jokingly called a dummy light because it's just a reminder to do maintenance so uh, it comes on every five thousand miles and so it's like every five thousand miles you usually want to rotate your tires but your oil change may or may not be due you need to know what your oil change interval is for the Toyota Venza. What year did you say it was again? A uh, 2009. 2009 may or may not have synthetic oil that lasts longer. If it's conventional, it's probably due at 5,000 miles, and so that may be, may be due. So you need to know what is due in your maintenance list. And it can be also, with it, yours being an older car like that, you want to check your fluids and, and check everything out and make sure everything's looking good. Pull the radiator cap off, check your oil level, check your transmission fluid if you can, if it has a dipstick, and, and, and check everything out. So it's just a reminder. It's a reminder light to, okay. to be basic. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Diane. <clears throat> AutoCorrect is going to be with Julie and John Hurley at the Eurofest in Ridgeland this weekend. We're taking your car repair questions after the break. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to our address, auto at mpbonline.org. What's an unreliable car not to buy? We'll get to that after the break. You're listening to AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio. The information presented on this program is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult an appropriate professional for guidance about your concerns. You're listening to AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio. Thank you for listening to AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, is our expert. I'm Liz Gill, and we hope that you've downloaded our app for your smartphone, the MPB Public Media app. John and Julie could listen to MPB while they're in Italy with our app. Consumer Reports has a list of vehicles that have a record of much worse than overall than average overall reliability based on subscriber responses to their auto survey. Today, we're going to caution you about the Jaguar F-Pace 2017 model. So please consider reading up on the reliability of this car.
before purchasing it as a used car, suggests Consumer Reports. CarComplaints.com is another resource for unreliable car lists, and they didn't have any Jaguars listed on there, so... No no additional comments on this Jaguar F-Pace. But if you're interested in reviews of new cars, Casey Williams is the automotive correspondent for WFYI, a public radio station in Indianapolis. He's reviewed cars and covered the auto industry for 25 years, and he has reviews up this week on the 2019 Mercedes-AMG CL S53, the 2019 Mazda 3 hatch, and the 2020 Range Rover Evoque. Is that right? Yes. E-V-O-Q-U-E. Okay. We're talking with Julie and John Herlihy and their experience at the Mill Millia. We'd love for you to give us a call if you have a question about that or a question for Allison. Our number is 1-877-672-7464. I wish you could see the booklet that Julie brought in for the directions. It kind of looks like... Uh, like, um, I don't know, an elementary school t- school test. I don't know, with the, yeah, or, or, or maybe like a, a driving, the, test driving test yeah. with all the little intersections and things. So that's very analog. But then John had also mentioned a rally computer. What, Julie, what kind of technology is available or ill, Ill available and is, is cheating to use on the race? The rally computer is accepted, and everybody uses um, a different form of it. Um, we, we're very comfortable with ours. Ours measures, um, for instance, I'll have an interval in my, in my road book that says, um, look for this in 0.18 minutes. And I press a button when I see it on my rally computer, and I get another interval. Oh, okay. That will say, you know, in 2.3 minutes, you're going to look for this side or and that's going to trigger a turn so um the rally computer is just a sophisticated timer and is that is there anything else you can use or you're not allowed to use i don't think so um some of the rally other than a working gas gauge john (laughs) we have the rally computer actually has uh, some of the gauges on it which is allowed um but they allow almost anything. It's timing and distance. So we have kilometers and time on it. I have a love-hate relationship with the rally computer. When it's working and properly programmed, it's great. But it is very easily easy to bump it. And when we bump it, I lose all the timing. And I go back to the old-fashioned way. It's glitchy then. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, you mentioned you're driving through all this gorgeous countryside, but you have your head down into it. And I guess the only times you can stop are for supper. So, you know, my road trips are all about the, the snacks and, In and Italy and, for sure. And where, where we're going to stop and eat, but none of that for you all. When we stop and eat, they feed us very well, and we are allowed a certain amount of time. And if we're running on schedule, we have time to eat. On the last day, unfortunately, we didn't have time to eat. But, for instance, the the, the equivalent of the Chamber of Commerce in Old Siena mm-hmm. fed us breakfast, in, fed us lunch in the square there, and it was wonderful. Amazing, amazing. Well, I'm super curious what your overall placement ended up being, or, and how did you do? Did you do what you wanted, or did you do better or worse? We did uh, better than planned. My goal was to, in the regularity uh, time trials, was to be within 
one second of the time that we were to cross, and we did that on all but a one of 112. We, we, wow. We finished uh, with an average error of 0.3 seconds for 112. We finished in 108th place and got the top American team. Wow, that's amazing. That's really, really good. And I'm, I can't imagine all the coordination to make that happen. <laughs> like, that's it, crazy. It was really good. Julie and I had gone to New Orleans and practiced quite a bit. We weren't able to practice on actual timing equipment. So we set, uh, we went to the racetrack and in the paddock, we set ropes and set up practice courses and, and would practice the handoff. So when we're doing the uh, timing, we would approach these what was like an old uh, hose at a gas station. And as we would approach it, uh, I had to cross it as, at a particular time. And Julie would count down. And when she, what we learned, when she gets to five, she stops. I take over the countdown in my head and cross when I think. And the important thing is Julie presses a button that starts the next time trial. I and see. It, yeah. Okay. And if she doesn't press the button at the right time, it doesn't matter how I cross because I've already had a built-in error for the next one. Yep. Yeah, I see. Wow, that's fascinating. So when you're there and you go to the stop and you're you're trying to hit that, they have a timing light there and everything. So it's is it all computerized to to record everyone or they have a timing up? machine, but we don't yeah. see anything. Oh. So they have uh, fifty meters out. You cannot stop your car, so you can't just drive up to the thing and wait to the last second and cross it. You have to be rolling for the last fifty meters, and so it's. It's practice of, of, of approaching it at a particular speed, and I actually have a foot on the accelerator, a foot on the brake, and I'm looking at the line, looking at the line, trying to pass at the right time. Oh, wow. Amazing. All right. Well, let's take a call. Let's go to Picayune. Kenny, thank you so much for calling in today. We're glad you're part of AutoCorrect. Go ahead with your question or comment. Yeah. Hey, good morning. Um, I've got a 2007 Saturn View. Um, I changed the wheel hub assembly on the right-hand side and a little couple of thousand miles later, the left started making a fix to change it out. I was curious, is there anything else that would make that uh, same noise besides a wheel hub assembly? The only thing I can think of is a dust shield got bent and is leaning up on the rotor a little bit. But you'd hear that at all speeds where your bearing, when it goes out, you tend to hear it around 45 miles per hour. It'll just be loud. Also, you know about the trick to check it in the curve and when you turn left. Yeah. Yeah. So when you turn left, it takes the pressure off, say if it's your right side one, and it'll stop making noise and you turn right. It'll it'll take the pressure off the left, and you can hear it. Not it, you know if it stops, then you know that's that's the bearing that's acting up. So that's a I test had, you can do to double check it. Yeah, I had heard that. Uh, there's a a little variation to the to the sound when I steer to the left or to the right. Uh, not a whole lot, and that's that's what prompted the question. If, is it there was, was something else? You know. Is there anything else between the uh, wheel hub assembly and the transaxle? Is there like a, an intermediate CV joint or 
No. Mm-hmm. No, the, n- not on the front wheel drive car like that. But the only other thing that I could think of that could be making a noise is an actual bearing inside of the transmission. If it's making you wonder what it is, um, there are a lot of bearings inside transmissions, and they'll make a similar sound. But it's it's it'll do it at different times. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. This this one. Uh I guess that kind of is a little concerning then because this one I hear uh, pretty much the whole time the car is moving. Um, okay. Whether I'm going real slow or going real fast. And it seems to quieten down after I've been on the road for a little while, but it doesn't ever go completely away. Well, put it on jack stands and put it in drive and see if you hear it coming from... Or, or can hear where it's coming from. That'll help you figure it out, too. Oh, okay. That's a good idea. I not thought about that. Yeah. And, of course, doing the, the you do the 12 o'clock and the, and the 6 o'clock, yank it back and forth on the tire, and at the 9 and the 3, 4, and then and move it back and forth to um, check and see if, the, if it's the bearing. That'll help. That'll kind of help you figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and just spinning the tire. Really, yeah, I haven't really felt a whole lot of slack, but, you know, there's a little bit. Yeah, that doesn't particularly mean anything, but, yeah. But you can still have a bearing going bad. Yeah. So that's what well, I would do is jack it up and put it in drive and see if you can hear where it's coming from. Yeah, I've already ordered the bearings. I'm going to go ahead and change it out because it's, it's been, you know, it's, it's got a little over 200,000 miles on it anyway. So. Yeah. Usually when one side goes out, the other one is shortly after it when it comes to wheel bearings. Right. And uh, I figured I'd change it out. And if that doesn't solve the problem, then I've got another problem. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully uh, that's it. Well, thank you so much for your time. Love your show. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Kenny. We're glad that you called in. Let's now go up to Tupelo and go to Scott. Scott, thanks for calling into AutoCorrect today. Go ahead. Yes, Allison. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I've got a couple of questions. I want, uh, if you could share a little bit about additives uh, like Seafoam or uh, uh, Lucas to run through the uh, gas tank or your engine. Are, are you big? I've had some mechanics tell me that uh, if everything's right, you shouldn't have to use that. Maybe, maybe once in a while. But you know, I was wanted to hear your input on that, right? Well, um, good question. But a lot of gas these days has a little bit of a detergent in it to clean these injectors because they did have a problem with it clogging up when, when things started first going to fuel injected. Um, so the things are a lot better than they are, but it still helps a little bit. I use it occasionally on my car. I use the Lucas Fuel Injector Clean. And also that intake clean that you hear me talk about helps in a, in a similar way as having good gas because all that works together um, symbiotically. And so that's I, I recommend using a, a fuel injector cleaner occasionally. But one thing is don't just use it one time and never use it again. Use it kind of regularly. Maybe every oil change, put in some of it, get the big bottle. And it's really cheap for what you're doing and keeping everything clean. 
but um, things are a lot better than they used to be. So the chance of an injector getting clogged is, is a lot lower than it used to be, but it's still possible. Scott, if you want to go online or find the podcast for AutoCorrect, we had a whole show on fuel additives. That was our August 29th uh, AutoCorrect show. You can listen online at autocorrect.mpb online.org you can listen on the mpb public media app or wherever you get your podcasts okay thank you i got one other question go ahead uh i just thought a little ford ranger and uh i took the throttle body off and cleaned that and the uh the other little sensor up there by the air breather the uh, maf sensor map flow yep I cleaned it with a cleaner, and it seems to put a new air filter and clean the box, and uh, seemed to be, it worked, I think, but then I took a spark plug out, and I took it to AutoZone, and it was an auto light, and I checked the gap, and uh, they said it should have been gapped at 44, but when you put them back in there, said all of them make the gap bigger. Is that? Do you know anything about that? No. So when I took it, I took the plug out, and it was gapped like fifty-six. And they said it should be gapped at forty-four. It's just worn out to where the gap is widened on it. So typical wear on a spark plug. So maybe they're due to be replaced. What would that? Would it make it uh, burn more fuel if the gap's bigger than what it's supposed to be? It makes your cool your ignition system work harder to make the spark plug work, so it can wear out those components. It can on that car. It's it's probably ignition cool. I don't know if that one if yours has a distributor or if it's cool on plug. Do you know? It's cool. Coil on plug. I don't have a distributor. It yeah, has. it's coil on plug or, or some similar yeah. that. It'll wear those out trying to make the spark. It'll try to jump the gap on the spark, so it'll wear out your ignition coil. So it's, it is good to do your spark plugs on time. Okay, so that gap shouldn't change at once. Oh, it'll change. No, while it's running, I've never particularly heard that, but it makes sense that when it heats up, it would change a little bit. But that gap is still too big. I mean, that's still too big. You want it cold. You want the gap to be at 44. Um, okay. And and so when you pull it out, it's... big uh, on motorcraft parts on a Ford. Yes. I've, you are? Yes, definitely. Something they get uh, basically any American car. It seems like they they do tend to do a lot better, mostly with the OEM parts coming back on them. I don't say the same for European and Japanese because there's there's a company called Import Direct that makes really really good aftermarket parts. They make them better than stock for these import cars. But on the American, they seem to be really picky if you don't use what was in there. For instance, the fuel pumps on pretty much any American car I've dealt with, if you replace it without using the Delphi unit and you use the power, whatever it is, uh, the other brand, Precision Power, they will, they'll only last like three months. So you have to put these original equipment back on, and then it works. It's, it's better for everything else on the vehicle too, generally speaking. Okay, thank One more question. Uh the guy that called in about the catalytic converter, I had that same issue. I took it to a reputable mechanic, and he said, uh, this is my other car, uh, O2 Camry, and uh, 
2.4, and he said, I wouldn't change the catalytic converter. He said, I can put a space between, put a spacer between uh, the rear, I, I guess O2 sensor, what he was talking about, to make it read like you were talking about earlier. It's got to read the same, and if that graph's not the same, it'll throw a code. Uh, have you ever heard of that? Uh, that sounds like a term that I call redneck rigging. <laughs> I like to. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Problem, huh? I like to fix the problem. So what he was doing was um, making the system read wrong when the system was not working right in the first place. For instance, it probably was running rich, and so he's making the O2 sensor run. Um, to where it will read that it's running fine. So, no, I would have gone ahead and fixed the problem on that. Scott, we're so glad that you called in today. Thank you very much. We need to take our last break. We're talking with Julie and John Herlihy about their experiences at the Milia, and we'll also talk about Eurofest. We uh, would love for you to send us an email with your questions, auto at mpbonline.org. Hang on, Clarence. We'll get to you when we come back from the break when we'll also talk about what's coming up. This is AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio. Listening to AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio. It's an expensive cycle. Insurance, gas, maintenance. Let us help break it by turning that car of yours into public radio. If your car is more work than it's useful, donate it to us. We'll pick it up, get top dollar for it, and use the funds to bring you more of your favorite shows. You might even qualify for a tax deduction. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. Welcome back to AutoCorrect. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. I'm Liz Gill. I'm with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker, ASE certified. And if you would like to meet Allison, I don't know why anybody would want to meet me, but I'll be there too. And John <laughs> and Julie Hurley, we're all going to be Saturday at Eurofest. It's the 11th annual Eurofest Classic European Auto and Motorcycle Show. It's going to be at the Renaissance in Ridgeland. And the event, now, the Friday, there's a caravan kind of thing from a hotel yes. driving around. So if you see some fun-looking cars yes. Friday afternoon, that's what's going on there. But then the judging and then all the cars are going to be parked at Renaissance. Um, and folks can be, see everything beginning at 10 a.m. And Allison at 2 p.m. Yes. is going to have a car clinic. Mm-hmm. And, a little demonstration. And uh, John and Julie, you're going to tell us about your car, and, and you'll have your car there at in Richland at the Renaissance? That's right. We had it shipped up from New Orleans, and we'll have it for the weekend. 
So this amazing race car is going to be there with all these other amazing cars. I, I absolutely love Eurofest, and I'll be judging for the first time, and it's really exciting. So, But y'all come up and see us, and it's really amazing. It's an outdoor mall that's gorgeous, and it's a beautiful Bring setting. your coat. Have right. you looked at the weather? Oh, is it going to be cold? I think the high is supposed oh, no. to be like 65 oh. as a high. So don't bring a jacket. <laughs> bring a coat. I'm glad you said something. <laughs> and if you want more information, euro-fest.net is the website. Let's let's get Clarence's call in, and then we'll see if we can talk a little bit more about this after Clarence. Clarence, thanks for calling in from Canton. Go ahead. Yeah, how you doing? Um, really good. Uh, I have a 202 Chevrolet Cavalier, and uh, it's running hot. We changed the water pump, the radiator, the fan, everything. We put Every time I put a thermostat in, it runs hot. And I take the thermostat out, it's run, you know, cool. It don't, it don't run hot. And I've been trying to figure out what causes it to run hot every time we put the thermostat in. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe you have a heater core plugged up or something like that. Are you losing fluid at all? No, no, losing no fluid. It's losing no fluid whatsoever. Um, I'm not really sure without looking at it further since you replaced all these components in it. And, and you and you know your fan is working correctly. Is that right? Yes, we bought a brand new fan. You know for sure that it's it's working good. Um, now that's something I'd have to look in further because you've you've handled a lot of the components that 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 you would want to replace in this situation. Well, let me ask you: Could the heater core be stopped up and don't circulate right? Yeah, that was the first thing I said. Was that it's possible the heater core is clogged up and it's not circulating correctly? So there's a way. It's easy to to try to flush it before you go in the dash and try to replace it. Of course, just take the heater hose off off the firewall and put a hose in there and see if you can flush it out. You can run a flush through there, too, a clean, and see if that uh, breaks it loose. Sometimes it takes a few flushes to break that kind of thing loose within within uh, the evaporator, the heater core, I'm sorry. And um, so you might try that and see what you find out. Okay. Clarence, thank you so much for calling in. We appreciate you being part of AutoCorrect today. And remember, if you want to come see the AutoCorrect gang and see this wonderful Jaguar that Julie and John Herlihy drove through the Italian countryside, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. You're welcome. I look forward to seeing you on Saturday at Ridgeland at Eurofest. That's going to wrap up for AutoCorrect today. Our call screener has been Jay White, our board engineer is michelle mcadoo hey don't forget to look up allison on facebook twitter instagram the lady auto mechanic we had some folks really liked uh the the dirty dirty pictures that you had oh, my dear. <laughs> that you had that's hilarious <laughs> I'm it's, it's just me being greasy <laughs> <laughs> up next is our thursday southern remedy show kids and teens with dr morgan mcleod but we hope you'll join us next thursday at 10 a.m for autocorrect on mpb Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.